Hi there. Welcome to the Flourish As You Age podcast, where we examine how to manage our minds to enhance our well-being as we grow older. I'm Michael C. Patterson. In this episode, I'm going to talk more about a framework for well-being developed by Dr. Richard Davidson and his colleagues at his Center for Healthy Minds at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. The framework was outlined in a 2020 research paper authored by Dr. Davidson, Cortland Dahl, and Christine Wilson-Mendenhall. It's called The Plasticity of Well-Being, a training-based framework for the cultivation of human flourishing. Now, as the title indicates, the scientific foundation for the training approach is the plasticity of the brain, its malleability, its changeability. We can change the structure of our brains and the functioning of our minds by being mindful about what we do, how we think, and how we feel. Richie Davidson gives us guidance on how to achieve positive plastic changes with his four dimensions of flourishing, which I introduced in our previous episode, episode number six. Davidson's four dimensions of flourishing are awareness, connection, insight, and purpose. According to Davidson, there is sound scientific evidence that cultivating these four conditions changes the structure of our brains and the functioning of our minds in ways that contribute to our well-being and to our ability to flourish. Well, that's just what we want to do. So, Let's explore each dimension and consider how we might cultivate these dimensions and use them to enhance our well-being. Awareness. Here's Davidson's definition for awareness. Quote, Awareness refers to a heightened and flexible attentiveness to perceptual impressions in one's environment as well as internal cues such as bodily sensations." End quote. Awareness is an incredibly valuable asset, and in fact, it's all we have. We tend to take awareness for granted, but we shouldn't. If you think about it, Awareness makes up the full content of our consciousness. We live within the world of what comes into our attention and are essentially blind to anything and everything that is outside of our consciousness, beyond our awareness. So we need to be mindful and selective about what gets our attention and what is excluded. With this in mind, it strikes me that there are three important aspects to training our awareness. The what, the why, and the how. First, we need to train ourselves to be aware of what we are aware of. What are we paying attention to? Where are we placing our attention? And just as important, what are we choosing to exclude from our scope of awareness? Or What are we failing to notice? Second, why have we chosen to pay attention to this and not to that? Have we, in fact, chosen? Or has our attention been kidnapped by some outside force? Like television ads, text messages, social media, news alerts, domineering relatives, or outrageous politicians? And further, Is attending to this particular thing enhancing our well-being? 
How does it make us feel and act? Do we like those feelings? Do we like those actions? Are they helpful or hurtful? If not, if they're not helpful, if they are hurtful, why are we attending to them? The third aspect of awareness training is perhaps the trickiest. How are we attending? What is the quality of our awareness? We want to be fully present, focused, open, and accepting. We want to receive the perceptions in a pure and unfiltered way. This becomes difficult when we are only half listening, when we're thinking about something else or are constantly distracted. The big danger is that we distort what our perceptions are by filtering them through our assumptions, our biases, stereotypes, and preconceived ideas. We want a straight, pure impression, but often our awareness is muddied, muddled, and misleading. I find it very helpful to consider the what, why, and how of awareness in terms of the hemisphere hypothesis that I talked about in previous episodes. In broad terms, we are on much safer ground when we run our awareness through our sensory mind, our right hemisphere. We are more prone to distorting our awareness when it works through our conceptual mind, our left hemisphere. Our conceptual mind gives us interpretations of what we experience, which often obscure the simple truth of what's happening. All right, the second dimension is connection. The authors say that connection, quote, refers to a subjective sense of care and kinship towards other people that promotes supportive relationships and caring interactions." End quote. When we train our mind in connection, therefore, we are learning to cultivate pro-social attitudes and to free ourselves from antisocial attitudes. We learn to connect with kindness and compassion. Connection is an outward-directed focus that orients the mind towards the well-being of others and, in its most expansive form, towards a feeling of universal unity. We train ourselves to cultivate feelings like gratitude, appreciation, forgiveness, and tolerance. We can also go further and train our minds to be open to feelings of awe and even transcendence. Part of the practice is learning to free ourselves from maladaptive mindsets that cause us to feel alienated and separated from ourselves, from other people, and from the world. We learn to resist the impulse to contract and separate ourselves from others. Instead, we cultivate mindsets that are expansive and welcoming. Davidson has found that so-called connection-based interventions like loving-kindness, compassion meditation, positive psychology, they decrease anxiety, depression, and psychological distress while increasing positive emotions and overall well-being. These practices tend to suppress the fight-or-flight mechanisms in our brain while activating brain circuitry that supports empathy and pro-social motivation. So that's attention and connection. Davidson's third dimension is insight, which he says refers to self-knowledge, 
concerning the manner in which emotions, thoughts, beliefs, and other factors are shaping our subjective experience." End quote. Insight helps us determine the how of awareness and connection. It helps us to recognize what kind of awareness and connections undermine our well-being, and conversely, what kinds foster well-being and flourishing. Insight helps us to understand the specific types of mental states we need in order to cultivate well-being. Further, training our insight helps us to gain some objectivity about the workings of our mind. It enhances our ability to understand that our thoughts and feelings are just products of our mind, often of our conceptual mind. They are not dictates from some higher being that reflect eternal wisdom and must be obeyed. No, our thoughts are just our mind doing what it does, trying its best to understand what's going on and desperately hoping to offer some kind of useful guidance on how to respond. Now, often the advice offered by the mind is stupid and counterproductive. As a general rule, we get ourselves into trouble when we believe these constructs of our conceptual mind and ignore the direct experience offered by our sensory experiential mind. We should see what we see, not what we would like to see or what we think we should see. Insight helps us to distinguish between skillful and unskillful thoughts and between helpful and hurtful feelings. The authors cite analytical meditation and cognitive behavioral therapy as among the interventions that work specifically on developing insight into the workings of our mind. All right, so that's attention, connection, and insight. Davidson's final dimension of well-being is purpose. This dimension, says Davidson, quote, refers to a sense of clarity concerning personally meaningful aims and values that one is able to apply in daily life." End quote. Goals and values that can be applied in real life. We experience greater well-being when we feel that our lives are guided by meaningful goals and when our actions reflect the values that we hold dear. Setting meaningful goals gives us targets to aim at. It helps us figure out what we want to do with our lives, where we want to focus our attention, and what kind of connections we want to make, and how we want to make use of our insights. Our values, of course, refer to our basic sense of right and wrong, of good and bad. When our actions are consistent with our values, we feel good. When our actions conflict with our values, we feel bad. As Davidson points out, quote, a growing body of evidence indicates that purpose and values can be classified and strengthened through purpose-based interventions, and doing so increases resilience, promotes healthy behaviors, and alters the brain and peripheral biology in meaningful ways, end quote. Davidson points to acceptance and commitment therapy, ACT, to well-being therapy, and various contemplative practices that promote a connection with a God or with, with however we imagine something greater than ourselves. Values are tricky. 
I used to do a lot of acting, and it was always instructive to play the role of the villain. Villains believe that their evil actions are justified and virtuous. They don't think of themselves as evil or destructive. They are being virtuous and consistent within their own unique but distorted or misguided value systems. So I think we have to agree that well-being and flourishing are associated with values that promote pro-social and self-transcendent feelings and actions. Davidson points out that, quote, while self-transcendent values serve to bolster well-being, self-oriented materialistic values lead to negative outcomes, end quote. We need goals that make the world a better place for everyone. All right, as we move forward with our inquiry into how we can flourish as we age, we can keep Richard Davidson's four dimensions in mind. To flourish, we need to enhance our mental abilities in these four areas, awareness, connection, insight, and value-driven purpose. If you want some homework, Consider Davidson's four dimensions of flourishing. What role do these dimensions play in your thinking and your behavior? Are you using them well? How are they contributing to or undermining your sense of well-being? You can learn more about Richard Davidson's work at his Center for Healthy Minds, based at the uh, University of Wisconsin in Madison. If you Google Dr. Richard Davidson or Healthy Minds, you can find uh, his website, you can find his app, his meditation app, and also I recommend his book that he wrote with Dan Goleman called Altered Traits, Science Reveals How Meditation Changes Your Mind, Brain, and Body. Okay, be well, live well. Treat the aging process as a grand adventure of discovery.